Starting a new business is no easy task, especially if you're a nurse practitioner. The concept of an NP practice owner is poorly understood by many patients, physicians, insurers, and attorneys. How to overcome the barriers to achieving a successful independent NP practice. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Lisa DeAndre, your host, and joining me today is Carolyn Zahlmeyer, a nurse practitioner and the author of How to Start an Independent Practice, A Nurse Practitioner's Guide to Success. Today we are discussing the barriers to independent NP practice ownership. Hi, Carolyn. Welcome to ReachMD. Hi there. Great to be here. Carolyn, states have different laws regarding nurse practitioners owning and operating an independent practice. What are the general requirements or limitations of these regulations? The regulations vary widely state to state, and learning what your laws are for your state are very, very important. They may pertain to collaboration, supervision, prescribing, whether you can write for controlled substances, and what's legally required of you. And it is your responsibility to research these and know these and follow within the letter of the law. How different are they? Oh, they can vary greatly. Like the state of Arizona, there is no collaboration required, whereas in many states they can require a physical supervision where the physician needs to be within so many feet of the nurse practitioner type. So it can vary widely, and it just really depends on the state laws. In the past, there's been a lack of support from MDs for nurse practitioners having an independent practice. Has this improved at all, and what are your suggestions for creating a successful collaborating agreement? It's funny when I hear that because I had such a positive relationship with my collaborating physicians. Both of my collaborating physicians were so nurse practitioner friendly, knowledgeable, and supportive that I think just putting that generalization out there is wrong. I know that a lot of nurse practitioners have had issues with finding a collaborative physician, working with the collaborative physician, and really see it as a barrier where I had the attitude that it was an absolute positive to have somebody that I could toss questions about. I could leave out a chart, you know, to find out, you know, what his take was on it. We really had a mutually beneficial, respectful relationship, and I think that's very important. Finding the right physician to be your collaborative physician is very important, and you need to interview them if you don't already know them. You want to be able to practice on the same lines, have basically the same treatment methods, and you need to know your laws of what you can and can't do as far as with your collaborative agreement. When you're interviewing a potential collaborative physician, you may want to bring a sample of an agreement so that they know what they're getting into, you know, what is required of them by your state. And I tell you, I think it can be a good thing, and you need to look at it as a positive rather than a negative and find a way to make it work for you both, you know, that makes it a good thing. Are the collaborating physicians generally compensated for their participation in these relationships, and what are some of the compensation structures that can be negotiated? Again, this varies greatly. Ideally, in my world, not paying them is great. (laughs) Um, I was able to work out arrangements with my collaborating physicians where I never had to pay them. When you're starting a practice, there are so many bills coming in, and your overhead is, you know, high, and you really want to start turning a profit. To be writing out a check to someone else that if you didn't have to do it, that would be great. I was able to work for one of my collaborative physicians part-time, just a half day out of the week. And 
with that, I was able to generate a good income for him for a day that he wasn't in the office. And I also had the confidence that that money that I made, it was a per diem rate, would cover my office manager's salary for the week. So I was happy because I was able to have the confidence that I could pay my office manager with what I was making off part-time from my collaborative physician. Other things you may want to do is cover call, if you can, at the hospital, or just telephone calls, refer patients to the collaborative physician. He didn't ask for it, but I said, you know, every pregnant patient that comes up, since I didn't deal with pregnancies, I said, I'll hand them your card, and if they go across town or you take their insurance or whatever, you'll have a shot at them. But I couldn't guarantee, of course, that the patients would go there. You could help with marketing. You just want to find out how you can help them so it's not just a a taking relationship. You want to be able to give back to the collaborative physician so that they're happy with the relationship so it can continue. That's great advice. Can a nurse practitioner have hospital admission privileges, and how should nurse practitioners handle the situation when their patients are admitted to a hospital where they have no admission rights? Many nurse practitioners do have admission privileges, and to get admission privileges, you need to find out what the regulations are for each individual hospital. You need to find out what the application process is. Once you have that application, you need to fill it out perfectly. You do not want to halfway fill it out and then get rejected because on every application it says, have you ever been rejected from hospital privileges? So you want to do it right the first time. And before you submit it, you want to find out who the decision makers are. You know, is it a board? Maybe you should introduce yourself to them and tell them exactly what you plan on doing so that it doesn't come just to the board with no explanation as to what your plans are. Let them get to know you and to like you. And then also, if you can't get hospital admission privileges for whatever reason, you may want to work with your collaborative physician or another physician in your specialty to help cover the patients that are in the hospital. My practice was basically an office practice for women's health, gynecology type patients. And for my practice, I just took on the rule that if they needed to be hospitalized, they needed a physician. If they needed narcotics, they needed a physician. So I just took it that that was my line there. So I never had admission privileges, but I really didn't need them. Malpractice is always a concern for any medical provider. How is it different for an NP owner? Is it more expensive to cover the independent NP than the MD? When I first started, there was really no difference. Of course, you had to pay your extra business insurance, you know, for your building and for your business. But now I think the insurance companies are figuring out exactly what a nurse practitioner and independent practice does. So, yes, it is becoming more expensive. But you just need to evaluate each policy that's out there, you know, before you sign up to find out what the coverage is, what you're paying for, and what your options are as far as, like, making it more specific for your practice. I know I needed to provide a copy of my protocol as well as my letter to the Board of Medicine. You know, they had certain requirements that I did each year, but it was never really a problem. Is the nurse practitioner required to maintain malpractice coverage for the supervisory physician under his or her practice policy coverage? In the past, no. I'm not sure exactly what each company is requiring now because there was a big change in the policies a couple years ago. I know that um, nurse practitioners have come to me to say their physician of protocol thinks that the nurse practitioner should pay their malpractice insurance for the physician, which is totally inappropriate. You know, of course there is going to be some 
tie to them legally because, as you know, with this litigious society, that whenever they go for a lawsuit, they're going to go for the deep pocket. So they will be tagged onto it at some point. But if the physician really doesn't have any contact with the patient or hasn't advised the nurse practitioner on the patient, I think that really reduces what they would actually be called on. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Lisa DeAndre, and I'm speaking with Carolyn Zalmeyer, nurse practitioner and author of How to Start an Independent Practice, A Nurse Practitioner's Guide to Success. We are discussing the barriers to independent NP practice ownership. Carolyn, although the role of the nurse practitioner is fairly understood in the medical arena, public awareness of the profession is still a barrier. What are your thoughts on this, and do you see it changing? I do see it changing. More and more of the general public have been savvy about what is a nurse practitioner. Just in social conversations, I've noticed that more patients are being exposed to nurse practitioners, and I've gotten very, very positive comments back on the nurse practitioners. One thing we need to do is to keep educating the public Never misrepresent yourself as a physician. You are a nurse practitioner, and this is what you do. And you kind of need to make up a little stump speech as to who you are, what services you provide, and why a patient may want to come to you rather than the competition. What about the DMP program? Do you think that this is necessary for NPs considering their own practice or owning their own practice? Oh, I don't think it's necessary, but I think it's a definite plus. More education is better, you know, and I think the programs are fabulous as long as, you know, you can physically get it done without affecting your practice. I think it's the wave of the future, but I don't think it needs to be a requirement. And once armed with the DMP, do you feel it's appropriate for nurse practitioners to be called doctor in the office? I think there's confusion with that, and I really don't, personally, I don't feel it's appropriate. I know that it's a doctorate of nursing, but there's no need for that, and I don't ever want to misrepresent a nurse practitioner as a physician. And for the general public, doctor is doctor, as in physician. If you explain, yes, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse practitioner with my doctorate, that's different. But I just really feel that misrepresentation, that could be perceived. Could you update us on the current prescription rights for MPs and difficulties they face with controlled substances and pharmacists? It's all very state by state, and that's one thing that, you know, again, you need to research and know and follow the rules. In Florida, we were not able to write for controlled substances at all. I got a call from a nurse practitioner that said she was being investigated, and I said, well, what have you been doing? She was a psych nurse practitioner, and she had been writing controlled substances for seven years. (laughs) So I encouraged her to hire an attorney. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you need to know your rules and follow them. And what are the barriers with insurance reimbursement for nurse practitioners? It depends on the insurance company and how they respond to it. Like in Florida, we had one that was physician-owned insurance company where we just didn't have a prayer getting on a panel there. Um, But each company is different, and a lot of times once they understand the role, they embrace it because they realize that they're actually saving a few dollars. But the thing you need to do is if you find that you have one large insurance company that's providing most of the coverage for your area, if it's an industrial area, say Blue Cross Blue Shield is your main provider of these people, you need to find out who the decision makers are, what the application process is, 
get to know those people and actually, like, court them. You know, if there's a special person that's going to help decide whether there may be, like, a mid-level liaison or a nurse practitioner liaison that's going to work with the nurse practitioners and the insurance company, you want to find out who that person is and really let them get to know you and like you and, you know, figure out what the rules are. And just because they have such strict guidelines, you need to follow their rules and just keep at it. Be be persistent. Other barriers to independent practice include difficulty ordering tests and referring patients to specialists. If NP is not impaneled, PCP, or a network member, the testing facilities or specialists may deny payment. How do you deal with this, and is that changing? I see it changing. It seems like everything is, like, coming together. And, again, I truly believe it is knowledge, you know, that once the insurance companies understand what we're doing and that we're practicing safely, and if they look at the statistics of the nurse practitioners, their success and patient happiness, I think it's going to change. What you need to do is to find out, again, what the rules are and find out how you can work with their system, as well as writing letters, letting them know that this is a problem, you know, and trying to get to the decision makers to make changes. And what advice do you have for the NP who is considering opening their own practice? You need to really think it through before you make the commitment. You need to look at your personal situation, your personal strengths and weaknesses, your family situation, whether you're going to have the support there, how you feel, whether you're feeling competent and confident with your professional practice. Planning is key for success, so you really need to work it all through, make a binder, organize your things so that you know that you're doing the right thing, that you have the best shot at success. And make sure this is your decision, that you're not doing it for someone else. You're not living someone else's dream. You need to buy into this 100%. And remember, it's okay if independent practice isn't for you. However, learning the business of the practice will make you a more valuable nurse practitioner to wherever you are employed. Going back to the websites, www.npbusinessowner.com is fabulous. Your book also gives a very detailed blueprint of what is needed to start your own practice. Where can we get that book? That's available at my website, which is independentnp.com. I would like to thank my guest, Carolyn Zollmeyer, for coming on the show. I'm Lisa DeAndre, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. Or call us toll-free with your comments and suggestions at 888-MD-XM-157. And thanks for listening.